Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have a wonderful repeat offender on the show, Dr. Stephen Gundry. (laughs) He was originally on episode 191 of the Primal Blueprint Podcast. We were talking about his last book, The Plant Paradox. And today, we're going to be talking about the longevity paradox, how to die young at a ripe old age. Um, Dr. Stephen Gundry has a 40-year medical career, performed over 10,000 heart surgeries, and after discovering key secrets to health 15 years ago, his mission is to prevent surgery by helping patients heal themselves through proper nutrition. We will put everything in the show notes to connect with him and his books. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Al. So I was reading, I, again, really great work. I love the plant paradox and I loved our conversation. Let's get right into it. From the, from the very beginning, from the get-go in your book, you get right into the gut and mitochondria. So, and and I love the conversation between the two regarding longevity. So, if we could just start off by tell us what is what are and what do you mean by gut buddies and then also define mitochondria and then maybe we can get into you revealing that conversation between the two. Yeah, so um the um, actually maybe mitochondria are actually engulfed bacteria. And long, long ago, they uh, made a deal, I guess, with the devil to get swallowed and become the energy-producing factories of cells. And they actually have their own DNA. They divide separately from the DNA in the nucleus of a cell. And that's actually one of the cool things about them. So you can make more mitochondria within a cell without actually having to have the cell divide. What's exciting to me is a number of years ago, I was attending a microbiome conference in Paris, and most of our initial gut microbiome is given to us by our mother as we exit the birth canal. And so she inoculates us with her uh, bacteria. And interestingly enough, all mitochondria, all mitochondrial DNA is provided by the female. It's in the egg and the sperm don't give any mitochondria DNA. So all of our mitochondria are actually female as well. And there is some interesting evidence that I talk about in the longevity paradox that the sisterhood of female-derived microbiome talk to the female-derived mitochondria. And we use an example of text messaging between microbiome and mitochondria. And I think it's actually, as much as it sounds really twilight zone-y and music of doo-doo-doo-doo plays in the background every time (laughs) I, I talk about this, I think there is more and more and more evidence that the microbiome uh, influences not only our, mito- our uh, mitochondria, but almost everything that happens to us. Let's get into some of the things. I mean, we know some of the obvious threats, but let's get into the poisons of our gut buddies. What are things that 
you know, I mean, it seems as though, and it's interesting because I want to connect this other point you make in your book about how you talk about obesity in humans is marked by a decrease in bacterial diversity. So we're here and we're like, all right, we really want to diversify our guts. We want to get going. That's part of diet. But let's talk about some of the offenders like lectins and some other things that our gut biome does not appreciate. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's been a constant battle between animals that want to eat plants and plants not wanting to be eaten. And, you know, that I talked about in the, uh, in the plant paradox, obviously extensively. And we, we don't realize uh, most of us that plants were not put here on earth to feed us, but that they were here first. And when animals arrived in the first plant predators were insects, uh, plants had a problem because they couldn't run, they couldn't hide, they couldn't fight. But they had a great advantage in that they're chemists of incredible ability. So they make defensive proteins, uh, among them lectins, that are designed to, uh, if possible, get and attach to the wall of the gut and produce leaky gut. Now, we have a pretty doggone good defense system against lectins. And that includes mucus that lines our gut. Mucus are mucopolysaccharides, multiple sugars. And lectins are proteins that are looking to attach to certain sugar molecules. So we produce mucus uh, to trap lectins. But our microbiome all evolves to handle lectins. And in fact, there's actually a bug that enjoys eating gluten, uh, part of our bacterial profile. But interestingly enough, if you stop eating gluten and go gluten-free, that particular microbe has nothing to eat and leaves. And so if you re-expose yourself to gluten and no longer have that protection, that you'll be even worse off than when you started. So we have this balance of power between plants and our microbiome and our defense system against lectins. But that balance of power has been tipped really severely in the wrong direction in the last 50 years. And I, I deal, detail that in, in all my books. And I think one of the biggest offenders that's probably hopefully obvious to everybody now is the use of broad-spectrum broad antibiotics, both in us – we still, despite warnings, are consume huge amounts of broad-spectrum antibiotics for any little cough or cold or scratchy throat, despite the fact that the vast majority of these illnesses are caused by viruses and antibiotics have no effect. But to this day, most of our factory farm meats, most of our beef, most of our chickens, most of our pork, are fed antibiotics, and those antibiotic residua are in the meats of all these foods that we eat. And these antibiotics kill off our microbiome. And our microbiome is this really dense tropical rainforest of 10,000 different organisms that have been identified. In fact, about a month ago, they found another 1,000 different microbes that we didn't know about. 
So imagine this incredible diverse species of microbiome living in your gut and talking to each other and talking to our immune system and actually talking to the wall of our gut. And then basically swallowing napalm with every bite that you eat and killing off this tropical rainforest. And that's actually what's happened to us. And I, I think the second big offender that I think we should be more and more aware of is Roundup, the glyphosate. And, you know, glyphosate, Roundup was patented by Monsanto as an antibiotic. And I think we have to stop for a second and say, wait a minute, Roundup's a weed killer. It's an herbicide. Well, believe it or not, it's patented as an antibiotic. So uh, Monsanto knew full well that glyphosate kills bacteria. And we now know that this, in fact, is true you know, because it actually interferes with the same way it kills plants, the humorously named shikimate pathway. Um, and so it kills our microbiome. Also, research out of MIT shows not only does it kill our micro microbiome, but it in itself is capable of producing leaky gut. Now, most people associate Roundup with GMO crops, and that's, of course, why it was originally invented. But uh, we are finding out more and more that Roundup is now sprayed on conventional crops for harvesting purposes to kill the plant, to desiccate it, because it's a lot easier to harvest corn or soybeans or wheat or oats uh, or canola if the plant is dry and can be easily mowed down with a harvester. So it's now sprayed on most conventional grains, most conventional beans, and it's then fed to animals. They don't wash it off, and it appears not only in them, but it is then made into all of our breads, all of our crackers, all of our cereals. And you probably, your listeners are well aware of the recent study of, I think, 35 oat products in the United States, consumer oat products, where all, all of them had a Roundup in them, and a number of them had above the legal levels of Roundup, including some of our most popular and cherished cereal brands. So that's pretty doggone scary that this stuff is everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, and I, is this lead into, and I guess this, um, the connection here to me, at least what I gathered from your book is that, you know, when talking about the mitochondria, they decide which cells should live and which should die based on hormonal messages from the gut. So when yep. you introduce chemicals, like estrogenic, you know, body cream, parabens or whatever, or any of these like Roundup, then you mention you say that, you know, when estrogen-like substances hijack those messages, that's when cancer cells can grow unchecked. Can you kind of unwrap that a little bit for us so we can really get this connection between the chemicals that come through our skin and food and how this disrupts the mitochondria? Yeah, the I mean, the interesting thing, the deeper you dive into this connection between the gut microbiome and mitochondria, the more, uh, the, the more you realize that the, the gut microbiome is producing a lot of the hormonal signals 
uh, and text messages in the current vernacular that mitochondria pick up to decide uh, whether they're in a growth cycle and whether they are in what I call a regression cycle. Traditionally, uh, traditional uh, hunter-gatherers we know go through circadian rhythms of a lot of food and not a whole lot of food. And during times of a lot of food, we actually stimulate cells to grow. Uh, We stimulate mitochondria. But during times of uh, starvation or less food, we actually have a a very well-orchestrated system of taking a look at every cell, seeing if it's pulling its own weight, seeing if it looks a little odd, and instructing the cell to uh, commit suicide and to recycle its parts. And that system actually is an incredibly elegant, well-designed system uh, that in our current situation of 365 days of endless summer in our food and 365 days of exposure to uh, growth-like hormones in in our foods, in our products, in our personal care products, in our you know estrogen-like compounds, where we never get a chance to kind of reset uh, the system, and we're really kind of constantly in a growth cycle, and that's really one of the scary things um, that is happening to to all of us in terms of the amount of cancer that's occurring. And I'd love to dip into calorie restriction and how that promotes longevity and the whole concept of autophagy, I guess, is maybe the... uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I heard many, many years ago, I mean, they've been sort of talking about calorie restriction leading to longevity. I remember like even 20 years ago reading something about people in Russia, you know, sort of quiet calorie restriction and living till they were, you know, in their hundreds or something. Um, can you explain to us how calorie restriction promotes longevity and this concept of autophagy? Yeah, you know, you really the, the father of calorie restriction was a UCLA pathologist by the name of Ray Walford. And uh, he was he was actually the mentor of Walter Longo, who's the head of the Longevity Institute at USC. And uh, Ray Walford, of interest, was a volunteer at the ill-fated Biosphere Two experiment in the Arizona desert, where they locked the biospherians in a geodesic dome, and they were supposed to pretend that they were living on Mars for two years and grow all their own food. And it was a horrible uh, disaster. But he was like a kid in a candy store because these guys couldn't grow enough food. And they actually lost about a third of their body weight uh, during the first six months. And what he showed was that, in fact, uh, during that time period, these people got biologically younger. Their uh, insulin levels dramatically decreased, their cholesterols improved dramatically despite the fact that they were starving. To... And he, uh, sadly, uh, the father of calorie restriction died in his uh, late 70s of Lou Gehrig's disease. But uh, unfortunately, people who uh, promote longevity often end early and 
as I laugh about in the book, people will be waiting for me to kick the bucket and prove <laughs> oh, <no>. myself wrong. <laughs> but getting back to it, Toffee. What a risky endeavor you took writing this book, Dr. That's <laughs> exactly right. What an idiot. Uh, but getting back to autophagy, the cells have a very interesting energy sensing system. And it's, uh, it used to be called the mammalian target of rapamycin. Uh, we now know it occurs in all creatures, not just mammals. So it's now called the mechanistic target of rapamycin, mTOR. And mTOR senses energy. And it, it essentially looks at two things. It looks at sugar availability or carbohydrate availability, and it looks for certain amino acid availability. And those amino acids are far more prevalent in animal protein than they are in plant protein. So uh, if mTOR senses hard times, then it actually issues instructions to simplistically recycle the cell to use up the parts uh, and to eat itself, autophagy. If the cell doesn't get the right instructions, it can actually, for lack of a better word, explode, which is a apoptosis, which is bad. But you actually want an orderly recycling of cellular components. We now know that even mitochondria undergo the same problem process, and that process may be even more important than autophagy. So it's all based on energy availability signaling. And calorie restriction uh, has now been shown to extend lifespan probably through this mechanism in all animals studied, including now uh, our cousins, rhesus monkeys. But what's exciting is not so much that you just have to cut back on calories in that you can mimic cutting back on calories by knowing what mTOR is looking for and then fooling it. And again, one of the great ways of fooling it, and this was first proven by Dr. Walter Longo in humans, is that if you do a calorie-restricted vegan diet for five days in a row, you will act as if you were calorie-restricted for the entire month, but you only have to do it five days in a row. And it, it's so effective that uh, Dr. Longo, who's become a friend of mine, um, has a product called Prolong that has actually gotten a patent for its ability to uh, mimic a calorie-restricted diet. And it's a vegan diet, and I have a five-day vegan uh, diet that mimics that, that you don't have to spend any money on. So, uh, but it'll do the same thing. And you're saying five days of the month, just when it, that's Straight. kind of like a hack? Yeah. Yeah, that's a hack. So all you do is five days straight of about an eight to 900 calorie vegan diet. And the reason you do a vegan diet is that, again, mTOR is looking for certain 
animal, certain amino acids, and I won't bore you with those, but uh, we know what it's looking for. And if you really cut back on those particular amino acids, you'll fool the system. It's a great hack. Fascinating. Um, let's get into this. I, I know you put it in your book and you even said it in your last one. You're like, hey, my apologies to people in the paleo and ketogenic communities, <laughs> but that <laughs> you are a big proponent of limiting animal protein. And I, I mean, I'd say very low. Like, for example, you're even talking about, you know, 20 to 25 maybe grams of protein a, a day. Grams, max. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and you know, one of the things, and, and you are right, we, and we try to get this message across too, people do overeat animal protein in general. And I was absolutely guilty of this. And it was something that I had to change and get used to. And it turns out that that very small piece of steak now satisfies what I used to eat the whole thing. So, you know, it's, I did have to pare down and I realized that I was overeating protein. Um, let's get into that a little bit. I, I thought it was interesting. You were foray into, you know, the blue zone populations, right? Because not a single one of the blue zone populations has uh, a significant amount of animal protein consumption, but they do have a high fat. And I, I thought it was very interesting. Your 50% fat diet, vegetarian, soy eating, seventh day Adventist. Tell us about TVP and that whole story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, interestingly, I, I'm actually the as far as I know, the only nutritionist who's actually lived uh, and worked in a blue zone for, for most of their career, and that was at Loma Linda. And so when people tell me what the blue zones eat, I, I get a big smile on my face because uh, the idea that blue zones uh, you know, are blue zones because they eat uh, whole grains and beans is, is simply not true. And I, I use the example of the Adventist. The primary protein source at Loma Linda was textured vegetable protein, texturized vegetable protein, which is soybeans which have been extruded under high heat and high pressure to produce what we uh, laughingly at Loma Linda call mystery meat. It can be made and to resemble just about any animal protein you could care to uh, imagine uh, there's even spam, uh, which we called wham. Uh, we can even duplicate scallops and shrimp. Uh, in fact, uh, one of my fondest memories, all, all of our Christmas parties and holiday parties were uh, with uh, you know vegetarian food and vegan food. And we were at one holiday party and my partner, and I won't mention his name, so I won't embarrass him, came back to the table and he said, wow, you know, it's amazing. These shrimp taste just like shrimp. It's amazing what they're doing these days. And his wife said, you idiot, you went over to the other buffet. Those are real <laughs> shrimp. He said, oh, no wonder they're so good. Uh, true story. So, um, but the point is that these clever Adventists had figured out that the lectins in soy were really pretty mischievous. And they had figured out years ago that you should pressure cook uh, soy to make it safe. Because as I write about in all my books, pressure cooking destroys lectins. And so I do think it's, it's fascinating that, uh, you know, the Adventists had figured this out years ago. Interestingly enough, the Adventists, which was a surprise to me, working with their dietitians and looking at the research in the Adventist diet, they eat a 50% fat diet. 
even the vegans, and the vegans eat large amounts of nuts in the Adventist diet. And just recently, about two weeks ago, Gary Frazier, um, one of my good friends at Loma Linda, published the most recent paper looking at Adventists and showing that even small amounts of animal protein increase the risk of coronary artery disease and stroke in this very low-risk population. And, I, you know, I wish it wasn't true, but you, you have to, you know, this is pretty meticulous data, and you have to look at this and say, you know, uh, maybe this is the key to the blue zones because the one thing that unites the blue zones, they have very different diets. Uh, the ones, you know, one, you know, several blue zones use a liter of olive oil a week. Uh, another blue zone like Okinawa, 85% of their diet is the purple sweet potato. And they have almost no oil. And what oil they use is lard, pork lard. So, I mean, wildly different. And yet the thing that unites these blue zones is very, very little animal protein. Um, and the other thing that unites the blue zones that I talk about in the longevity paradox is that they all live in hilly communities. And in fact, Loma Linda means beautiful hill uh, in Spanish. And it's, I think, and I'm, make the case, including my great-grandmother, who died just short of her 100th birthday. Uh, she lived in a three-story house, house all her life and lived on the top floor, on the third floor. And my, my sister and I couldn't believe that our great-grandmother wouldn't move her bedroom down to the first floor as she got older. And yet, several times a day, she climbed up those three, story, three stories and back down, and we thought how silly she was, but she was incredibly smart. And uh, you look at the, you know, the blue zones, and they all climb up and down those hills all their lives, and it's one of the keys of designing an exercise program where you work against gravity, and I think that's one of the keys. Excellent. So let me ask you, back on that pressure cooking with the lectins. So in Plant Paradox, we had a story of a woman who got quite successful in her healing journey, but still had a little left to do. And you guys discovered that she was still eating non-pastured chickens, right? Where, yeah, yeah. Okay. So then I would ask you, so does that mean like, hey, if you're going to get a non-pastured chicken, pressure cook it? Is that the hack? Yeah, I think that's the hack. We've had several people do this and it seems to work. Uh, and Actually, you know, pressure cooking works pretty doggone good, particularly most pasture chickens are pretty doggone tough, uh, as most of us know, and that is actually a pretty nice way to tenderize a pasture chicken. The other thing that's been fascinating to me through the years of getting people from all over the world um, who come as, as patients now, uh, so many of them have told me that uh, incidentally, just recently, uh, an Indian patient came to see me from India. And they said, oh, gosh, anybody in India knows that you have to pressure cook lentils uh, before and chickpeas before you, you eat them. Everybody knows that. Hmm. And I have a Brazilian gentleman who said, uh, everybody knows you have to pressure cook your rice and beans. 
And he can date the time he started to get sick when his mother blew up their pressure cooker when she was he was 12 years old. <laughs> and uh, he said, I began to get sinus infections and tonsillitis. And he, he walked through the door with three autoimmune diseases. And luckily, he doesn't have them anymore. He says, but, you know, I... He says, looking back, I knew uh, it started when my mother blew up the pressure cooker. And I profile in the in the in not only the longevity paradox, but also uh, the plant paradox of uh, a young lady who came from Peru, who mother always pressure cooked quinoa because she told her daughter that quinoa was poison unless you pressure cooked it. And her daughter thought that that was an old wise tale. So when she moved to Los Angeles, she ate regular quinoa, unpressure cooked. And she, she developed really a severe uh, IBS. And so when I met her, she, her mother had just flown from Lima, Peru, and bought her a pressure cooker, saying, you stupid idiot, you got to pressure cook quinoa. And uh, so I told her that her mother was right. She said, ah, you, you know, my mother was right. So... She got her pressure cooker and her IBS went away. Um, That's fascinating. You know, I wanted to throw out, we had someone on the show who was a former vegetarian and they they went in, you know, this direction ancestrally and they have rheumatoid arthritis that runs in their family and they have said, and this is what I mentioned in my book too, even though you can call it what you want, but still quinoa can be part of the pseudo-grain family that actually really ignites someone who's got some rheumatoid arthritis. And I have a friend who, when she eats quinoa, she will still get that same reaction like she would if she ate grains or beans. So I just love that you pointed that out in terms of if someone's having an issue with quinoa, you know, maybe pressure cooking it is uh, obviously the way to go. That's a great, it's a great bit of information there. Um, what would you say? And I know you're a big fan of having a nice vegetable green smoothie and, um, having that as part of your day. What, what percentage of your diet is fat? Are you only eating 20 grams of protein a day? Like what does your day look like? Well, so during, during the week, uh, my wife and I try to eat vegan. We have basically, one big meal a day, and it's a huge salad. We go through about uh, a liter and a half of olive oil per week between the two of us, and we have a lot of different greens in our salad. Yeah, we have um, we have several avocados in our salad, uh, and that tends to be our weekday meals, and we don't usually have any animal protein during the week. And then on the weekends, uh we tend to eat either wild shellfish or wild fish, and that's pretty much uh, the limit of our animal protein. We will occasionally have uh, pastured eggs, particularly if we're over in Europe. Uh, they actually have pastured chickens over there. I was, We were recently over in Ethiopia digging some wells with my favorite charity, Charity Water, and uh, the Chickens were truly pastured over there. They were just hunting bugs, and their eggs were some of the most startlingly orange yolks I think I've ever seen. So uh, that's yeah. a little off the subject. So, but we we tend to you know limit animal protein, and it's sad for me because I grew up in Omaha, and Milwaukee, where you know beef and pork is king. Uh, you know, a side of beef for breakfast, you know, half a half a pig for lunch, and you know, hmm. uh, and it's been it's been very difficult culturally for me to accept that this was probably not a great idea. 
How do you feel? Oh, you know, compared to me 20 years ago when I was, you know, running 30 miles a week and going to the gym one hour a day and uh, eating what I thought was a healthy diet, you know, I'm down 70 pounds and I used to have arthritis. I don't anymore. I used to have migraine headaches. I don't anymore. I used to be pre-diabetic. I'm not, uh, you know, I, People see me uh, and even look at pictures of me 20 years ago, and I'm younger now than I was 20 years ago, which is part of the longevity paradox. You can die young at a ripe old age. Yes, I love that. And and if, and in closing, um, and of course, we will put you know all of the links to uh, you. You sell great great projects. You've uh, products. You have a wonderful website that we'll put in the show notes. What would you like to leave our audience with? If someone needs to go out there and be like, I need to turn my life around. Um, aside from getting your book, what are a few things um, you'd like to to shed on this topic? The more I can get you skipping meals, the better. Um, you really need to feed bugs in your gut the things they like to eat. So the more, believe it or not, the more radicchio, chicory, Jerusalem artichokes, um, Belgian endive you get in your diet, the better. Uh, my favorite saying is the only purpose of food is to get olive oil into your mouth. And uh, I got a new quote today. The road to good health is paved with good intestines. Mm. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's excellent. I really appreciate all the work you've been doing. And um, it's your, your work and both of the books that I've read, Longevity and Plant Paradox, have something for everybody, whether you think you want to go down a route that Dr. Gundry's on or you want to improve your current situation. There's, there's really great information there for all of us. Thank you so much for your contribution to health and also for coming back on our show. What's next for you? What do you have going on in the future? I'm assuming more. What's the next paradox book? <laughs> well, yeah, it turns out we're just uh, putting the finishing touches on the next book, which is the uh, Plant Paradox Family Cookbook. It's basically how to raise your kids without them driving you crazy. It's how to sa save your kids' lives. And it'll be out. Uh, we're aiming for a Thanksgiving uh, holiday release right before the holidays. So I'm real excited about it. It's going to be you know, full color like the Plant Paradox cookbook, but it's going to be aimed at families. And uh, hardworking families, uh, it is so tempting to stop by and pick up the fried chicken or the pizza but we have a lot of instant pot recipes, and it's going to be food that the kids will recognize, but it won't kill them. It'll actually save their lives. Excellent. Well, that's a great gift for everyone to start off the new year right. Uh, thank you so much again for your time, and we will be keeping tabs on your work. Hey everyone, join us for Keto Reset Month. This is a month of free email content, plus amazing offers, giveaways, and a huge grand prize to help you kickstart or re 
commit to keto. You can go to primalkitchen.com forward slash keto reset. And here's what you'll get when you subscribe. You'll get an incredible offer to buy a Primal Kitchen Advanced Keto Kit and get the Keto Reset Mastery Course for free, which is $147 value, a month of free exclusive email content from Mark Sisson, free keto learning materials such as ebooks, food lists, recipes, meal plans, and more, and additional offers and recipes from Primal Kitchen, Mark's Daily Apple. So go to primalkitchen.com forward slash keto reset and join us.